0: listening to rattle and pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All
1: right, Jeff, we're working through the 5 Ws here. We started with why, why intellectual capital matters. We went to what, what is intellectual capital? And now we are going to how do you develop an intellectual capital strategy? So, that's the topic today and I guess I should preface that by saying it's not how you develop a strategy is how do you develop a effective intellectual capital strategy, which is what we really made the case for last time. So, all right, go. That's, that's all I'm saying today. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. <laughs> Fill in the blank. Boy. Well,
2: before I move forward, how about a quick summary of, of what we've talked about up to this point? Because I think it's, it's really important. If the purpose of marketing in an expertise, knowledge-driven, professional services type of firm is to communicate the value you provide to the buyers who value it in the most cost-effective and timely manner, then that to me dictates that you understand, you know, those components. And, and we've, we've kind of beaten that up. And then we talked about what are the components of an intellectual capital strategy vis-a-vis all those other strategies that exist in yeah. a firm. Right. <laughs> and there's capital like, strategies. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we talked about, you know, when where the shift needs to occur, that there's these parallel paths of the intellectual capital agenda, if you will, that are focused on demand creation. And generally, most firms stop at just building awareness of the firm. And we talked about big B. But really, that demand creation has to go all the way down to sales and make sales more effective, right? It needs to actually drive revenue, not just hover up here and try to create some nice halo effect with the rest of the firm running around underneath it, trying to find some application for it. And then the second part of the intellectual capital strategy has to look at supply creation. So understanding the market and the issues and the creation of solutions, and I say solutions, that's kind of a catch-all for products and offerings. And I would even say tools, and I'll explain tools in a second and how intellectual capital gets applied. And then finally, how we deliver the service. You know, I always tell my clients to keep in mind that how you sell me is how you serve me. And that's the mindset of any prospect. They're formulating an opinion about what it's going to be like to work with you, you know, from the moment they come into contact with you. And that's why this is so important to drive this all the way down to client service delivery. So let me say this, as we kind of outline, how do you develop the strategy? It goes on the assumption at this point, given our, our other podcasts, that you know certain things and those certain things are one, you have a very clear understanding of your core capabilities and the value that you provide and that you understand who your ideal client is that firm or buyer that values that value. And we beat that up, I think, pretty significantly because you don't want to be selling strategic solutions for IT to a buyer in an organization who doesn't see IT as strategic. Simplest example. You want to be aligned with clients that share your point of view. Because in its very essence, intellectual capital is the way that an organization shares its point of view and buyers want to hear how you think. And the clearer the point of view, the easier it is for them to understand who you are and what you do. That point of view is going to be a combination of your core capabilities and how you think but also that kind of intangible that we talked about that really sets the great firms apart, that culturally driven how you show up. And that point of view to me is the one-to-many perspective of how you show up. And the trap that that firms fall into is they parse out their words around their point of view because they don't want to alienate anybody. You know, they don't want to take a stand on anything because they don't want to limit the market and and turn people off. When the fact of the matter is you're turning the market off by not having a clear point of view. And my feeling is if you're listening to this podcast and you don't believe that, then you don't share my point of view. And (laughs) right. We would probably not work together, but that's okay. But you have to have a clear point of view because everything that cascades down from the intellectual capital agenda is coming through that point of view. You know, we look at the market with these core capabilities. We see these problems that we can apply our core capabilities to. And here's our point of view about the best way to solve those problems. That's what intellectual capital needs to make clear to the market
1: let me pause you for a second because I'm, I'm sort of drawing a flow chart and a model as we speak And at the top of the model i have a box and the box is sort of like there's four things in that box it's definition on the ideal client problems that they face the opportunities that they seek or you might be able to help which i think derives topics and leads to point of view right that's the kind of like master box And then underneath that master box, once the point of view is defined, you've got two tracks. You've got a demand track and a supply track is sort of the way I'm hearing this. The demand track defines all the things that are going to come into the marketplace to create content, or not just create content, excuse me, create demand for the firm. So it's it's content and other things that need to happen for that point of view to be real in the marketplace and be understood and be relevant and create conversations. And then the supply track comes down to what are we going to actually sell and deliver? how are we going to deliver? Before I go further, check me. Is that a good rubric for describing this? I think it's a fair one.
2: It's a good way of looking at intellectual capital and its specific purposes. In reality, it might not be two divergent lines. It might be a helix where they're intertwined, where demand and supply overlap one another.
1: Well, let's not go there yet because now you're just yeah. overcomplicating it like you always do. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. keep it simple. My point in saying that is is, is yeah, I think about this episode and this is really all about how do you develop intellectual capital strategy. What I want you to, I want to kind of pick a starting point for you. My starting point is we can look at this one of two ways. We can assume that the firm knows its ideal client. It has an understanding of the problem, problems and opportunities and the topics that they need to pursue. We can say that those things are already understood. They've been defined by maybe a firm strategy or some other strategic exercise. And now the question is how you develop a compelling point of view and go forward. Or we can go back upstream to that kind of very beginning and say, how do you get at the right topical strategy and the right at the right problems and opportunities that come out of the ideal client? And so I think in terms of thinking about and giving listeners, you know, some thoughts on how to develop an effective IC strategy. I'm asking you, where do you want to start in that mix?
2: Well, let's go up to the highest level and talk about a value proposition. Okay. And 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 it's the value that you offer someone, right? And and everyone describes value differently. That's why you need the ideal client. So value is going to take one of three forms it is high at its highest level, and these are in business terms. I realize there are personal wins and, and stuff like that, that play out in the sales process. But at the highest level, clients are buying one of three value areas. The first one is growth, you know, whether that could be a marketing or sales or customer experience or, you know, some kind of technology that drives growth, the focus and the outcome they're buying you for is more revenue or however they're measuring growth. And we had a whole podcast on how you measure growth, right? The second one is efficiency, right? Investing into things that make you more efficient, that drop more profit to the bottom line and divesting of things that take away from efficiency. And there's any number of operational related things in there, lots of technology related in there that take cost and time out of the system. And then the third one is what I call financial performance. This is about lowering the cost of capital, making the financial engine, if you will, within the organization stronger, better cash flow, higher amounts of working capital, access to cost-effective capital, inventory turns, accounts receivables turns. I mean, all of those types of things. Those are generally the three overarching buckets. And then they're going to cascade down into issues that prohibit the accomplishment of one of those areas. With me so far?
1: I'm with you 100%. Okay. I, I wanted to comment real quick. I, I really like the way you, yeah. Yeah, value proposition and ideal client, what comes first? And I think they're sort of tied at the hip, right? Yes. Neither one comes first, you know, they, they, they go hand in the hand. Yeah. And that leads to issues. Okay.
2: Right. So with my clients, at that very highest level, we establish what value do you want to be known for delivering? Because you can deliver all of them and one might argue that they're opposite sides of the same coin, but for the most part, if you're looking at growth, you have a certain mindset. Of course, you want to grow efficiently, but growth is the primary driver. And within those those value drivers, you have to decide, and this is, again, we went back to, the, to our first conversation. You have to make some strategic choices. What do you want to be known for? So the value proposition, the brand position is around the value that you want to provide. So you got to pick one of those, maybe two, that you want to be known for. And this to me is the starting point that most firms miss is they don't put a stake in the ground and say at its highest level in the unchanging world, we want to help firms grow or we want to help firms be more efficient. But you have to put some marker in the ground because this gives you the true umbrella that is unchanging that allows the intellectual capital agendas we talked about, to evolve into those peripheries outside of that core of the performance envelope. So go back and listen to that podcast. But this overarching value proposition encompasses the core and the periphery. It is the brand, if you will, outside of how you show up that you're managing. And most firms really don't think that way. And it's so simple. They just do kind of animized stuff and they don't get the lift. And we talked about if you don't have a Big B brand to build awareness, every exchange and interaction you have has to build Big B brand. This gives you the scale to do that.
0: You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff.
1: Okay, so do you want to talk about the hows on that a little bit? So if I can't answer that question, the value proposition, and maybe that question is so root level and so simple, it's the wrong one. How would you suggest that firms go about answering it? And if we want to, if you want to skip ahead to issues, it's totally fine. Because you're like, Let- you know, Jason, it's pretty obvious, and I've never dealt with a firm that doesn't get that. <laughs> you know,
2: but- well, almost every firm I deal with doesn't get that. Yeah, you know, our listeners aren't alone. It's it's not that they can't get it. They just haven't thought about it yeah. or they've thought about it, but haven't made the hard choice. And we did a podcast on value propositions and we can put that in the, in the notes about how you create one of those, but you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice, in an ideal client. You have to make a choice on value proposition. Otherwise you're just never going to get the scale and focus that you need. So I just want to keep moving because I don't want to be professorial about this pedantic about it. So out of that overarching issue, you're going to cascade down into other significant areas. And it's in those areas you need to look at that align with your core capabilities and your value. Where is there the opportunity? So in my model, I call this market opportunity and these are the areas for growth. So how do you identify an area for growth? One, the market is unserved and there's a huge upside and there's any number of ways of to looking at the upside. Two, the issue that you want to solve and that you want to examine as part of your intellectual capital a- agenda is immature. People don't know they have the issue or they do not have their arms around what the issue and its ramifications are to them and their business. And they need to more deeply understand the threat or opportunity associated with that issue. And then the third is brand relevance. Do you have permission to play around that issue already? Or if not, what would it take to get there? So what is the strength of your brand's relevance or permission to play. So if you're thinking of a four square, up the left axis would be the maturity of the issue, mature, immature. Down the right side of the four square would be the growth. At the top would be high, at the bottom would be low. And then along the horizontal axis would be your brand relevance. To the left would be low, and to the right would be high. And depending where a various issue maps in that four square is going to dictate whether or not you should be pursuing it.
1: Okay.
2: So if you're in the bottom left quadrant where it's a mature industry, your brand isn't relevant and the growth opportunity around or associated with that issue is low, you want to avoid that like the plague. Unfortunately, that's where lots of people put their investment, thinking that somehow they're going to move the ball. And it's a huge waste of money. And you should avoid that bottom left quadrant at at all costs, reallocate that money elsewhere. If you're in the far right quadrant where you have strong brand relevance, it's a mature issue, but there's not a lot of growth. And this is where you would find a lot of the cores of the performance envelope you really don't want to be investing any money in that from an intellectual capital perspective what you want to do is have sales be calling the people that know them that know they have the issue and just be taking orders because your your brand is strong people know they have the issue you just want to get your share of what little growth there is there and then the upper right quadrant where there's high growth and your brand is relevant and the issue is immature but you have permission to play you should just be pouring on lead generation and we'll talk about what types of strategies you would do in that situation because i think it differs but let me just round out the the quadrants and then we can come back to that the fourth is where i think most big b brand firms think they're playing or want to be playing and that's an immature issue with lots of growth, but you have no brand relevance. So you have to make a decision about whether or not you can move the ball of relevance. And this is why relevance is so important to driving growth.
1: So ultimately, that's where your intellectual capital thought leadership resources are most likely going to go
2: depending on your business strategy and what your brand is. Mm -hmm. If you want to be an innovator and a leader and set the market, yes, that's where you would play. But if you're an order taker, then no, that's not where you would invest your intellectual capital. If you're somewhere in the upper right, you may use somewhat different strategy to drive leads. So if you think of the upper left as demand gen, the upper right is lead gen and the bottom right as sales or sales support as areas to focus on with intellectual capital, it would start to give you a little clarity. Okay. All right. So so this is the important part. This I think this is this is what kind of brings it together and where people fall down, if you will, in developing the strategy and in, in executing it is they don't delineate along those those three axes. But more importantly, they get stuck in the idea that intellectual capital is all demand gen, and that's the wrong way of thinking. And this is why I love, you know, the concept of dissecting the buyer's journey. Most firms all focus on problem definition in terms of their intellectual capital. But intellectual capital has application from awareness building and problem definition to familiarity and consideration for a given buyer and even choice. Because if you do a really great job of understanding your ideal client and dissecting the buyer's journey, it opens up any number of different ways of looking at intellectual capital. Because the whole purpose of understanding the buyer's journey And doing all this intellectual capital research is to identify the areas of friction along that buyer's journey, things that get in the way of solving the problem. And I don't think firms think that way. You know, there's some marketers say, oh, yeah, we did a buyer's journey. You know, I don't think they look at it deeply enough to to understand what is blocking the purchase decision. And here's why I say that. Research shows, and there's some great research from CSO and Miller Hyman, that buyers are so inundated with content marketing that they're overwhelmed. They can't even cut through all the noise in order to make choices. And what it's doing is just making them shut down. And the real value that's being delivered right now along the buyer's journey. Isn't all that demand, gen, or lead gen stuff? It's around the consideration and choice. And the best consultants and salespeople are helping their buyers make the best decision for them by sorting through all of that chaos. And that chaos isn't just a single buyer. I mean, most of what we sell in professional services are complex B2B sales. So it's like, A buying committee with six to 10 people in it, all confused, all trying to figure out what's the right decision, and they all have different agendas and priorities, and where the real value of intellectual capital right now is sorting through the validation of given solutions and building consensus within an organization, because all of these organizations are much more consensus-driven now than they ever have been in the past. So marketing should be thinking in terms of what tools or approaches or redesign solutions would make it easier for people to buy to eliminate that friction.
1: All right, well, I think that was phenomenal. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I kind of just, I, at one point I decided just to wind you up and let you go and see where you took us. Cause I think you, you know, I think, in this particular episode, it would be wise, maybe we should have set this at the outset for listeners to grab a piece of paper and a pen and not do this one from the car or do this one on the exercise bike, but to literally sketch this out. Because if you sketch that model out, it becomes very clear. And I really like where you went around friction, the idea of looking at the buyer's journey, understanding what friction is in the, in the sale. And then really, I guess my takeaway was put. that's where intellectual capital resources need to go is to those points of friction to try to unlock the friction. And frequently that means that it's tools that are used in the sales process more so than content used in demand gen.
2: Yes, or the the reinvention of the solution itself and how the solution gets delivered. I had a a recent conversation with a good size, well, actually several conversations, I, I guess, as I think about it of firms wrestling with this and they have certain components of it, like maybe one firm was able to identify, you know, the the issues or the value they want to present. And they created a beautiful model and and everything that goes with it. But when you when you dive into it, there's no there there. There's really no substance beyond conventional wisdom. And it's not translated into an ideal client's perspective. It really was a collective to try to get practices together, which is a real benefit of this type of approach. But it's not any good unless you start to fill it in and cascade it all the way down to sales. And what does that look like? I have another firm that I had conversations with that was thinking about you know, its audit of the future. And it's a really sharp firm with really sharp people in it, but they get caught into the trap of the only way for us to be a leader and be, you know, it's considered the best or something is to be innovative. So they're thinking about, well, how do we do innovative audits and how do we sell this thing as innovative? When the firm was incredibly risk averse, didn't want to put out any comments that would, you know, push the innovative envelope, right? So their actions and their messaging were going to be inconsistent. But the firm was known for another important of those three brand preference drivers, and it was being easy to do business with. And the thing about audits is they're a pain in the ass. <laughs> Nobody likes them, right? Because they're invasive. So, the the intellectual capital, and and the way of cascading it down, you know, through that intellectual capital model is the problem you're solving is make the audit easy and painless, and that your firm de- delivers, uh, you know, very effective but painless audit. Right, that's the attribute you want to own because everybody else is going to try to own innovative and. The people that are going to own Innovative are going to be the big four, right? It's not going to be some smaller firm because they don't have the resources to do that. So you have to go to places that you may not normally consider as a professional services firm because you have a bias towards an attribute. But if you have your ideal client and your ideal client is not in the market and is not value innovation, it values being easy to do business with, that's the lens you have to align your intellectual capital agenda with and be looking at how can we make our business easier to do business with? That's That drives your IC. I
1: hate to do this, Jeff. We don't gotta, do it, I wanna keep talking. We gotta wrap, we gotta wrap. So I, I actually don't know where we go from here. I have to internalize this. And so normally, as, as you know, at the end, I'll, I'll set the stage for what's next. I think there's a lot left unsaid on how to develop an intellectual capital strategy. So my gut says we're going to come back to this, but I don't know. So I'm not going to make any promises to our listeners right now. I'm just going to say that hopefully you open their eyes to the space between ideal clients, value proposition and issues and where intellectual capital energy needs to go. I'm not even going to say strategy. I'm just going to say energy because I think that's about how far we got. I've got a whole page worth of notes here uh, and sketches, kind of, you know, really, really trying to elucidate this. I think there's multiple parts of this that would still need to be explored further for people. But on that note, you know, we overstayed our welcome, and so I don't want to lose them. Uh, and so I want them, I want them to be able to come back next time or the next, the next version of this. So, um, as always, it's been a great, great call, and uh, we'll talk next week. See you, buddy.